to the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is a massive statement of the greatness of the person of our Lord. I want to direct your attention as we're looking at him to the Gospel of John, where he is also introduced to us, John chapter 1. And uh, if you have your Bibles turned to the Gospel of John, you'll notice those first five verses there, which introduce our Lord and also point out that he is the source of creation there. In the beginning, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it or overpower it. Here is the first thing that I would notice in that is that he is this one that we are looking at <clears throat> is eternal. Now that's very difficult for us to, to grasp because we live in a world in which there is entropy, there is decay, things depreciate, and we know that things age and wear out. And so we, we think of the ultimate reality as the universe. And God in that universe, we are saying, is eternal. But biblically speaking, uh, we have to back up and recognize that he's not in the universe. He is outside the universe, and he created the universe. And if we look at this passage, when we say that, uh, and the text says in the beginning, that is when things were created, when things first started to be formulated, it says, was the word. And the tense there simply means that when everything else, the very first parts of the universe, the galaxies, the stars, the molecules, the atoms, when they were being, when they were on the design table, and then when they were being formulated and these things were being created, he was before it. Which means that he precedes any kind of creation, which means he is eternal. And that is a hard thing to grasp. Because what it means is, no matter how far back or how far forward or how vast a span you cover, he's always been. He is the only one who has the power of being in himself. You say, what does that mean? Well, we, we have to have constant input, provision, resources, nourishment, for us to survive. If we were to send somebody like an astronaut to the moon, you think about what he has to take. He not only has to take his own air, but he has to take a way of purifying his air and being able to reuse it or recycle it or replace it. He also has to take food and nourishment for himself. Plus, he has to carry along a way of getting rid of waste. He has to take provision to keep his uh, temperature, the right amount of temperature. He has to carry enough water. He needs to be able to, to provide everything for him, including transportation to get there, 
protection from the temp extreme temperatures, the gravity, everything. Man is not, he does not possess the power of being himself. He's very dependent on things around. And when we go out to eat the steak dinner, the cow has sacrificed his life to provide us with the ribeye. It's that way that we eat and depend on other things for our survival. God and God alone is the one who does not need anything. He's not, we're not giving him new information when we talk to him. Or he's not learning new things about us <clears throat> that he didn't know before. He knows everything. Uh, he never makes a mistake. He, he is able not only to break through the, that a miracle is when God breaks through the natural laws of science and does what is normally impossible. And the only explanation for that is that God is doing something. We look at a lot of things and call miracles that are not really, we shouldn't call them miracles. When we, when we use the word miracle in our sort of our slang, we usually mean that God is involved in this. Sunset, beautiful sunset, God's obviously involved in that. The birth of a child, it's such a miraculous thing. And we, are, so we look at that and we say, this has to be the hand of God in there. But we wouldn't want to put that in the category of a miracle because that can be explained. Atheists look at the birth of a child, they, they accept that. They, they say, yeah, that's a wonderful, marvelous event. A miracle is something that cannot be explained away, that violates the laws of nature and science. It's something that's impossible. But when it happens, you say God did it. That's the only explanation. And so um, God is, is, is re residing in this universe, and he is performing in this universe things that are natural, and uh, he has laws and things that are established here for us. And uh, he, he has provided these things for us. And among those things are provisions for food and clothing and stuff like that. And he is in charge of that. But sometimes he breaks out of that mold and provides miraculous things to prove that he is entering into the realm of into history, into our life. And one of those is when Christ came, born of a virgin. Uh, he demonstrated in his life all kinds of things <clears throat> That can't be explained away by just saying, "Well, you just happen to be lucky." That these are these are miraculous things. How how can you explain somebody that can walk on water, for example, or somebody that can speak to a man that's been dead for four days, as people are sharing with us in the case of Lazarus, or a man that's been born blind from birth, and Jesus can make clay and put on his make clay and tell him to go wash, and he comes back seeing. Those things cannot be explained away as being something that's lucky. It's the work of Almighty God demonstrating through his life and through his miracles and through his power that he is from God. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate God coming into human, the human race. And uh, his life um, is a life of, of uh, displaying the greatness and the mercy of God. He came for you. He came for me. Uh, John says that uh, light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because our deeds are evil, and we don't want to forsake those deeds. We want to hold on to them. We want to, to keep those things. And so we are, we are part of the reason he came. He came to pay for our sin and to get our attention. Here is Jesus as the creator, and he is 
uh, eternal. He is the eternal. And that's what John means there. In the beginning already existed the word. Never had a beginning. Never will have any end. He is creator. And uh, that is that is a that's a hard thing to grasp. It's a hard thing if you really think about it. He never had a beginning. He never, never will have any end. Secondly, um, in, in uh, the second part of that verse, it says, not only in the beginning was the Word, but the Word was with God. It's talking about Jesus now. <clears throat> and what it says there, with, with God, it means that, that this one who is eternal, uh, when he begins to talk, you begin to get the idea that we're talking about more than just one being. We're talking about, we're going to be talking about three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you ask me how I can explain that, I don't know if I can explain that logically. The Bible reveals that. We understand that. That's one of the cardinal doctrines of the Scripture. If you deny the deity of Jesus Christ, you, you can't be saved. You turn your back on the truth. If you deny uh, God the Father or God the Holy Spirit, you're doing the same thing. These work together, but it's kind of hard to explain that. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm not discouraged about that too much because it's hard for us as our infinite little pea brain to be able to explain the greatness of Almighty God, the eternal God. It's difficult to do that. But here he is. He is the one, this word, which is the one that Jesus introduced as, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That means intimate with God, that there was a, an intimacy there between this one word and God. I heard somewhere, and I have not been, I've been looking like crazy, but I, I'm pretty certain somewhere I read that the idea of that being with God meant that he was face to face with God. Now, and, and I may be wrong, it's not necessarily the exact meaning of the wordage, but I think that's kind of the thrust of it, because in the Bible, when you look at a person in their face, you have an intimate picture of them. If you have a, a, a your somebody that's a good friend, and you you when you see their face, there's that intimate connection, and you you have a good rapport with them. Uh, in the scriptures, uh, looking at a person's face, uh, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you as a way of saying God's pouring out His intimate blessings. His, his relationship with you is a good relationship. It's a tender relationship, and it's good. That has the idea of that. Contrast that to the great white throne judgment, where Almighty God is sitting on the throne, and people are standing before him to be judged. And the text says that <clears throat> heaven and earth fled away from the face of the one who sat on the throne. Which means that there, that is a terrifying, terrifying reality. A reality which everybody will experience who doesn't know Jesus. And so this is a, this is a, a point where I think in this passage when it says the word was with God, it was intimate with God. Kings are not face to face with slaves. You understand that? There's a, there's a difference between the authority of a king and a slave, and they're, they're not on, it, it, it's, in fact, when a slave comes before the throne or, 
we come before the throne of God, we fall on our face. We humble ourselves before Almighty God. There's not that before, but this one was on a level equal with God. That's a powerful, powerful statement. He is the one who came, and he is the one that you can know and personally love. You can access him by reading about him in the word and letting God open your heart. That's how you can really come to know him is listen to what God says in the scriptures and, and seek to follow him, to love him. You see what I'm saying? That's where the life is. That's where he is. And so we want to do that. And then it goes on to say, uh, not only was the word with God, but the word was God. And let me quote to you. Vincent makes a statement. I think it's interesting. Vincent says at this point, the word God is without the article, which denotes that the conception of God is is uh, infinite, equal, perfect, almighty. He is not simply the person of God. Um, and it's not simply saying you've got two gods, because if you had two gods, that would destroy the Trinity. The Trinity is not two gods, one God. But he is God-like. He has the, the, the uh, qualities uh, of God. And that's what he's talking about. The word was God or God-like. God in essence. And then he says... Uh, and he was, the same one, was in the beginning with God. Goes back and almost repeats that. Now, God doesn't make a mistake. The Lord, when he's writing the scripture, he, he's not stuttering. So I, I really looked at that passage and, and tried to see what he's saying. And I, I, I think um, I have to go to commentaries and things. And Vincent and I was looking at He's pretty clear at some things. But he points out that in John 1, 1, the elements have been given separately, that is, the elements of who Jesus is. He is, in the beginning, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The fellowship, they've been given separately. He is not only the eternal God. He is the one who is intimate in equality with God and who possess all the attributes of God. But here, he is presented as the one who is, in the beginning, with God, this same one. He's been there. He's been active with him. He's not been silent. They're working together. They're working in perfect harmony. And uh, so here is a strong passage that just talks about the deity of our Savior, the eternality of our Savior, his activity. And then in our verse that we're focusing on, which I know it sounds like we're taking a lot of time, and we are, but uh, is that verse 3 says, this same one uh, is the one who is the creator. He is the absolute creator. All things, it says in verse 3 of John, came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. This is the, the transition, if you will, in this text. Talking about the word. This, this, uh, and by the way, the word, the term word there is also an interesting term. We didn't look at that. It's kind of a, a philosophical term that would be familiar with the Greeks as well as the Jewish community. For the Greeks, it has to do with the kind of organizational structure, logos, wisdom, uh, logic. And then with the Hebrews, it has to do with communication from God. And so the, this, this term logos, a word, is the term God uses to speak of, of his communication to us through the administration, the wisdom, logic, uh, his communication to come and, and uh, impact us. If, you, if you're saying that it's not real clear, it's not real clear because we're talking about God and it's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around everything that we can about this one who is the Word. But here he is and he has come into being and he brings everything into being and he is the Word 
He's been the word from all eternity. He is in active communion with God. He is the creator. So in this statement in verse 3, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being. We're still looking at the, at the, at the Lord. We're still looking at the fact that he is God, that he is eternal. He is the creator. And uh, this, this verse helps us to see a little bit about the fact that he is behind the creation. And isn't that kind of what we would expect? That if this one is eternal, if he is the eternal God, and he predates everything, that he would be the one who would be the source of everything. He would be the creator. That's, that seems to be lot. In fact, that's both of these texts we've been looking at. It talks about him and then the fact that he created everything. And he is the creator of all things. That's what John 1 said. All things came into being through him. All things. The uh, phrase all things doesn't mean, it's not taking all things and putting them in a big bundle and just holding them up as a bundle. He said he created this bundle of stuff. But rather it's referring to the details of all the things that have been created. He created all of the things, the details, the little things, the microscopic things. Guys, can you wrap your minds around that? <clears throat> we, I used to study, I've studied, uh, I was always interested in science and biology was one that I was good at and chemistry was one I was good at. And we used to have biology, we used to study these little uh, single cell animals and things like that, some that were classified as plants and some were classified as, as uh, more of an animal uh, realm <clears throat> and we used to look at them but he created those things he designed them and, and uh, the leaves and the cells and the trees as well as the, the magnificent galaxies and he did that and the, you know this is a great God he's magnificent and it's hard for us to grasp it it's it's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond being able to put him into our, our little box and say, now there, that's what he's like. He's bigger than that. He's greater than that. And so here is this, this passage that says he created all things, this infinite detail of creation. And it's not just talking about the, the creation as a whole. In Colossians, he's talking about the creation as, as a whole. Here he's talking about creation in its details. Uh, and it consists of, of all things that were created, the whole universe in a collective sense. And it's created, the tense there is aristes. And what that means to us is that it's, it's saying that this is a finality, a strong statement about the fact that he created it. It's, it's a punctiliar action. It's not a continuous saying. In Colossians, the creation is a continuous saying. Colossians says, which is the verse that we're looking at, he created all things, both heavens and earth, visible and invisible, with the thrones, dominions, authorities, all things were created through him. That's talking about continual sustaining and maintaining the creation. But this passage in John here is saying that he is the one who created everything, detail up to all the details and everything, and it's actually final. It's done, and it's done uh, with real sincerity. You could say he indeed created all things, if you wanted. That, that would help, maybe. And so here's the passage that talking about our Lord as the creator of all things and uh, the source of all things. And John expands this so that uh, we could even say not even one thing exists <coughs> apart from his create, created activity. That's what he means when he says that uh, nothing exists uh, that was made that he did not create. So that everything 
that we see around us. There's nothing around us that we're looking at that he's not responsible for insofar as creation. That, that, isn't that a pretty heavy statement? And this is our Savior. This is the one that was that came into the human race as a little baby and was laid in that manger in Bethlehem, that's feed trough. And uh, he came to pay the price for our sin, to die so that we could have life. Because God is holy and we're not. And he cannot, under any circumstances, put his arm around us and bring us and love us to himself while we're in our sin. He can't do it. I don't know how to, I've tried to look at it, ways of illustrating how something that you can hate that you don't want to have it. I know that kind of gross. I have cats and they used to go outside a lot. And when they come in, sometimes they'd be on the bed and you could find maybe a flea or something on them. And I can't think of many things that I hate more than fleas unless it's mosquitoes. <laughs> and you have got to kill these things and get rid of them or destroy them, whatever. And saying that God hates the sin, it's absolutely repulsive. If there's no, there's just the aversion of all aversions there. He hates our sin, and it, and and we make him angry. The Bible talks about us abiding under the wrath of God in our sin. So we're in a real dangerous place, and that's why the Lord went through such. I call it magnificent trouble. For Jesus to come, become a human race, born in the human race, live a perfect life, and then end up suffering the wrath of, of sinful men. Actually, it was the wrath of God through sinful men. And my sin on him, he bore it with his own body on the cross. He's so good. He's so good. We, we ask, and I do that too. We ask for little blessings here and there. And if we don't get what we want, we think that, you know, Poo-poo, he doesn't love me like he should. No, he loves you very much. He's, he's paid the ultimate price to work into your heart and my heart and bring us to himself. So um, it says he, he, he is the one that uh, all things came into being through him. He is the creator. Um, all things came into being through him and apart from him, not even, that's the best translation, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Hebrews is another passage, quickly. Uh, you're familiar with Hebrews. It, uh, this is one of my all-time favorite passages because it talks about God's communication. We are absolutely dependent upon God's communication. We won't know anything really about him unless he speaks. And he does speak through creation in a general sense, but he speaks through his word in a specific sense. And what he says in Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 is massive. God, verse 1 of chapter, of chapter 1, God, having spoken long ago to the fathers in the prophets. Now, how's that? He's talking about God speaking in the Old Testament through the prophets, uh, to the prophets, to the fathers, through the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. God, having spoken long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions in many ways in many circumstances many books psalms letters historical documents uh the parting of the red sea other things he spoke 
to the fathers through the prophets in many portions in many ways in these last days in the last days is the period of time when jesus is gone it's time from his birth to his death it's that it's that church period if you will in these last days he has spoken to us in his son so here we have now a contrast or, or not necessarily contrast but a continuation of god's god is the one speaking he spoke in the old testament to the fathers through the prophets he's spoken to us now during this time of the messiah through his son his son who by the way he is appointed to be heir of all things the heir is the one who inherits he is the one who's going to inherit all things he is the one uh, the bible talks about the fact he's created everything it was created by him and for him that's what we're going to be reading in colossians he is the one that is the instrument of the father in, in creation and these things are created by him and for him he is the heir of all things through whom also he made the cosmos he made the worlds the world so the father used the son worked through the son to create the world and by the way uh one of the passages I was looking at, I don't remember now where it was. I should have written it down, but uh, that when he talks about the, through whom he made the world, it doesn't mean that that Jesus was uh, like a zombie. It means the way it's worded. It means that he willingly, desirously, and joyfully participated. Uh, in working with the Father in creating these things. It's not that we were bucking hands or so we've used illustrations that the Father told the Son you're going to have to go and die. It's kind of an illustration. But there was no reluctance on the part of the Son. It was his, it was his plan as well as the Father's plan as well as the Spirit's plan. It was plan of the Holy of the Trinity to come and to provide salvation for you and for me. Don't take that lightly, because that's a massive provision, a massive provision. And so here is this, he's the creator of all things. He is the one who is, who is doing that. And Hebrews tells us that God has spoken, and the one who has spoken uh, has made the world. He made the world through the one who has come. Um, and it goes on to say that this one who has come is the radius of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. Notice one other thing it says about him in Hebrews 1. Not only is he the one who made the Father made the world through, but he is also the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. Now that, that uh, phrase there, upholds all things there, uh, has the idea of maintenance. That he maintains everything by his word by his power remember god created everything by speaking remember that it's his word is the is the tool that he uses he, we use a i, I like working little people come through the line all the time and they'll buy all kinds of things and uh buy tools and they buy uh, power tools they buy hand tools and other things they buy them and frequently i'll ask them what are you making they'll say i'm building some shelves and my my uh, mother's closet, or I'm going to add a cabinet over here for a customer, or something like that. But I'm using these tools. God doesn't use screwdrivers and hammers and nails. He uses word. If it needs to be light, He says, "Let there be light." He speaks, and it, takes, it happens. It takes place. Uh, his word is powerful, 
Well, here it says he upholds, he maintains, he sustains the good word, he sustains all things, he sustains the weight of the universe. In fact, that's one of the quotes Vincent, I was reading earlier, says, uh, talking about the universe, maintaining and sustaining the universe. Vincent says it is concerned not only with sustaining the weight of the universe, but also with maintaining the coherence and carrying on this development. So what he's saying is, you know, scientists, when I was studying physics uh, and chemistry, they told us that matter was made out of, made up of molecules and atoms. And one of the characteristics of, of uh, atoms is they have particles and the particles, some are positive, some are negative, and they are such a way that the positive and negative attract each other. We have two positives or two negatives, they repel each other. And when you have molecules, you have some of these atoms of different kinds, like salt has sodium and chloride, and you have or water has hydrogen, oxygen. These molecules come together and they hold together and they make you put the molecules, you get billions and billions of them, and so after a while you get a drop of water, and then you see what I'm saying? It it um, the matter is made up of molecules and science. And I can remember them talking about it, says, we're not exactly sure why they hold together, what holds them together. The force in the molecular structure is there. Uh, if we were able to break that reaction, all of a sudden we have a hydrogen bomb or an atomic bomb explosion. The energy that's released is massive. We're not sure what holds them together. And I, I just think that this verse explains that, that Jesus, by his word, is, is speaking, has spoken, and these things are holding together, just like the Bible tells us that he is the one who has set the boundary of the sea, and he said, now, no further. You can go this point, but you can't go any further. So sometimes we'll have, I, I was looking at the computer the other day, and they had pictures of a tsunami of waves coming in, washing over the boundary into the city, but then they recede back, and things begin to dry up, and they go back, and they stay at the same boundary. He speaks, and that's how far it goes. And that's the same thing with creation. He created, he sustains, he upholds, he speaks, and it is done. It is steadfast. This is the greatness of our God, and it speaks to the greatness of his word. Um, in Matthew 19, I'm going to read to you a verse. If you want to look at it, you can. Matthew 19 uh, I want to, uh, this has to do, it may look like we're changing topics, I'm not changing topics, but I want to talk to you for a moment about the power of the word. In Matthew 19, verses 1 through 6, Jesus is discussing with the religious leaders about the subject of divorce. Because they had a loose uh, grasp on the seriousness of divorce, and uh, they, they, the Jews many times, said you could really divorce your wife if she was burned the toast or she was not doing something well. You, you know what I'm saying? It was like in that sense, it might be considered to be a man's world, which by the way, uh, that has changed so drastically now, and that's because of the power of the gospel, the influence of the gospel. Women's rights have been elevated to a much better position because of the influence of the gospel. But anyway, here's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 19, verse 1. It says, it happened that when Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds were following him, and he healed them there. And some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and saying, 
Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now, notice the question there is not so much a sincere question to know what's going on with divorce, but the testimony. They, they already know the answer, but they want to put him on the spot and get some kind of controversy going. So they're testing him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Is that okay to do it? And he answered and said to them, um, here is the, the, the crux of the matter. And we looked at it this morning. <laughs> he says to them, have you not read? You have a Bible, you've not read your Bible, you don't know what the Bible says, that's your problem. You know, that, and that's always the problem. How are we going to know um, I watch sometimes when I'm eating, I'll watch um, either news or I like to turn over to the History Channel or to the National Geographic Channel or to the A&E Channel. They have documentaries and things about nature and stuff like that. And you can read see these things. And they, it is, one thing is always consistent. They are always placing millions and millions of years of history in our country when the Bible gives us about 10,000 years period of time, window of time. And so there's much contradiction of evolution to try to make it sound like that science has proven evolution. Uh, it's, it's the way it's worded is just all the time. I've heard them say it over and again, they'll find something bone and they'll say, well, we found this that science has now proven that this bone has been, has only been there about 18 million years. And that this tooth here that we have here is a tooth that came from the, one of those, uh, ancient uh, species of human race or whatever and has been proven scientifically it hasn't been proven scientifically but that's what they want you to believe they try to make it sound that way and i'm not against science don't misunderstand me but science that is real science and not just uh, science that's trying to be politically correct or whatever so anyway uh how do we know how can we say that these things that god has created man that uh, he created male and female. That's another issue, a big issue of transgender. Uh, that's a real hot issue, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They're yeah. passing all kinds of legislation to try to make it impossible. They call it hate speech if you stand up and talk about some of these things. And they're making it. How can, how can I stand up here and contradict that? Well, I can do it because of what's written in God's Word. And that's what he says. Have you not read? You know what the, the, the scripture is. Have you not read? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So God didn't make them and confuse the gender. He was not confused when he did it. He knew what he was doing. We get confused. And it's amazing to me how people who sometimes have several degrees uh, have, have demonstrated this fact that they know less and less the more they learn. And uh, they're not able to. Do, you know, you can you can get a, a, a kid in the first grade who knows and have no and has no problem about his gender, but these people don't know whether they're male or female, and it, it can happen. It's just it's a sad thing, but it's what happens when we turn our back on the Lord and walk away from Him and be given over to the brave mind. So anyway, here is what he says. He says, "Have you not read He who created them from the beginning made them male and female?" And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. What reason? Because God made it, created them. Well, that's his intention. Man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so they no longer are two, but one flesh. What God has 
joined together, let no man separate. What's the authority? It's God's word. It's what he has said. Um, we looked this morning uh, at the subject of the Sadducees who were questioning the resurrection. And they were asking, they had this uh, question which Pete pointed out, and I think it's a good, good issue, that the question that they had was a trial question. It was a question that was intended to eliminate any opposition that nobody could answer it. And as you have a man who died uh, childish, uh, then uh, his brother would take up the wife and marry her and marry children to his brother. And if he died childless, and they said that this happened, the illustration has happened seven times with seven brothers, and all of them died without bearing children to the man's widow. And then so then in the resurrection, which they were making fun of, whose <laughs> wife would she be? Yeah. And Jesus yeah. said, You don't know your Bible. What is that? You don't know your Bible. That's basically where he put it. That is the solution to these problems. If we'll go to the scriptures and read what God says, he has the answer. He he didn't stutter, he knows what he's doing, he knows um what needs to be said, and he knows what we need. And if we'll go to the scriptures and we'll take the time to read it, he can work in our hearts and our lives. I realize, I realize that a lot of times we, it's hard for us because the Bible says that when we come into the world, we come spiritually dead. And we don't possess the ability to really grasp the things of the spirit. And I understand that. But I also know that if you are willing, if you ask the Lord to help you and you read your Bible just persistently every day, read it, he'll begin to open your heart and your mind and help you to understand these things and give you life so that you can respond to the word and and uh, be pleasing to him and, and uh, be entering into his kingdom. Do you see what I'm saying? He wants you to understand. Yes, he does. That's why he wrote it. That's why he went to the trouble of providing it. But we get so tied up because, you know, light is coming to the world. I always think about that verse. And men love darkness without the light. And we do. We love our sin. And we don't want to let it go. We want to hold on to it. And we'd rather hold on to that than really humble ourselves and repent, which I can't do by myself. God has to bring that to my life. But anyway, so here's, this, here's the passage. We're going to kind of slow down at this point. This is the, the, the reality that God is, is the one. He's eternal. He never has no ending, no beginning. He needs nothing, and he is the source of creation. So when we look around, we see, um, well, abortion is a good illustration because of people, they, they're claiming to have the right over their own body as if that mass of human fetal materials was just some hamburger meat or something inside her stomach. It's not that, it's a separate person with a separate DNA, a separate brain, heart, blood system and uh, it is a person and they know it's a person that's why they're getting upset about it they want to get rid of it they don't want to just have something there and so they know that it's a real battle it's a moral issue it's a serious moral issue and it's a moral issue that God speaks on and personally I think that uh, he's going to judge us for, for our disobedience and our rebellion against him and uh, we don't want to do that we don't want to he was mentioned this morning we don't want to butt heads God, we don't want to. My dad sometimes would tease me, and he'd he would take my finger and jog that, and he'd say, "Say uncle," and I say, "No, no, no, say uncle." Okay, okay, uncle, uncle, uncle. And then he'd give that go. He did that when he was drinking. I don't know why he did it. <laughs> Maybe that's what my child was. But um, God, you don't want to play uncle. God, he he is so easily able to make you say uncle and to, to slam your face and growl and stuff. And but you see, he loves you. He cares for you. He really does. He's going to all this trouble 
to provide such a, a perfect substitute to pay for your sin. When Jesus died on the cross, God's wrath was poured out on him because you, your sin was on him. He was bearing your sin. If, he, if you come to him and you put your faith and trust in him, then you know that God's wrath is not poured out on you, but poured out on your sin. And God is treating his son the way that you should be treated. And that he is, he is treating you the way that his son should be treated. Hmm. He, he could have done any other way that he wanted to, to do this. What is that? He could have done any other way he wanted sure. to, to secure this sin thing. But he's put, he gave us something that was near and dear to him. Mm. His own son. That's right. And so until people don't realize this, they don't take the gospel seriously because he gave his son. I mean, he could have just wiped it away. We could have been the perfect race. We could have not sinned. We could have done mm. this. But this was his way of showing how he loved us. Mm. You know? And by giving him us his son, that's personal. And without without that, it's, it's, it's not personal. Yeah, it's very personal. It was, it was something very precious. All right, we're going we, to look at one more thing. We'll look at the focus and finality. That'll be next time, and we'll finish that up. But I, I, I'm not trying to wear you out with this, but this is really important. That Jesus is eternal. He's God. He's creator. He's the sovereign. He's the Lord. And everything... Everything about us depends upon him. And uh, we're just, we're so blessed. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good to us. I, 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 my quiet time in the morning sometimes, I, I talk to the Lord and I, I marvel at how stubborn I can be and how persistent I can be to do my, the Bible says love not the world, neither things in the world. But you know what? I love the world sometimes. But the things in the world, I don't want to let go. I don't want to turn away. And I have to make those decisions and either to, and he's just so worthy. He is so, so, so good to us. He's merciful. He's gracious. And uh, so we love him. We want to. He has our best interest in heart. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the Savior. We were studying the birth of our Lord. And Isaiah makes it clear that he was born the virgin, virgin birth. Some people try to make a big thing about it, it's just being made. But Luke tells us, no, it was a virgin, a virgin born. We know that. We know that he came into the world. He bypassed the sin nature. He's a perfect man. He's God. And uh, we are, we are, we don't deserve the least of his blessings. And he's, you, you've opened up the, the clouds of heaven. You're pouring on us a torrential downpour of grace and mercy. And we, this Christmas season, have the privilege to read about and study uh, you and the scriptures. And I pray you'll help us to do that. Help us, help us not to, to waste the time. The scripture indicates. It's that you can, the nation of Israel did that. And that's why when Jesus came, they, they, and turn their back so much on the they couldn't come from you. And now they have crossed over, and, and Jesus said, You can speak to them. They have eyes that see not, ears that hear not. They're not going to respond. I'm not going to let them respond because they've had an opportunity and they've crossed over the line. And we know that can happen to us. Please don't let me do that. Don't let us do that. Help us really to take you really seriously and to follow you and honor you. You are so, so good to us. We appreciate that. We ask a blessing now upon the remainder of this day. Pray for the communion tonight, Father, if you come. Uh, 
then it would be a, a real, very time of real worship, real worship as we pour out, as you show yourself to us in our hearts and, uh, and through the scriptures. And I pray in Jesus' name.